Anand is a true renaissance individual. He is a creative producer for theater and film. He's CEO of Broadway Boxed Up, the longest running theater themed subscription box with a focus on elevating BIPOC, deaf, and disabled theatrical voices while connecting fans with Broadway around the world. He is a producer and a co-producer of Broadway shows, has a background in financial valuation, computer science, and was a consultant for PricewaterhouseCoopers. Now, I may or may not be great at math, but as I count it, that makes him even stronger than a triple threat. He is passionate about the intersection of theater, tech, and disruptive technologies. He was recognized as one of the class of 2019's best and brightest. Circle his name because a month you will see him everywhere now that you know where to look. Ananth, welcome to Bit by Bit, Broadway's only podcast dedicated to the producer-investor relationship. We are so glad you're here. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, that's so fun. Thanks. We have so much to talk about. I don't even know where to start. The periphery, the, the lens through which we have this conversation is the producer-investor relationship. And you are doing both. Amazing. So can we talk about maybe how you balance both producer investor? Like, how does that work? I always think I don't want to produce something that I wouldn't invest in. And so, you know, I don't necessarily personally invest in every project I produce, though. So far, if I haven't invested myself, a close family member has and if they're investing, it feels like I'm basically investing because I know if my brother's invested in something I'm producing, he's going to be just as mad at me or expect just as uh, me to treat the money as if it were my own. And so, you know, I kind of think of it as one and the same. But, you know, there's always a decision. Do I invest or do I produce? And I think when I first started out, I started out investing a lot more. And I think that was partly because that felt more accessible to me to get into the industry and to sort of break in and understand how the industry works. And I think being an investor has made me a better producer. Mm, 100%. Because a lot about being a producer is that relationship between the investor and producer. And if you don't know the issues that investors face and what information they receive and what information they don't, it's hard to know how to manage that relationship as a producer. So I think it's made me a better producer by investing in various different types of entities and so, you know, when I'm looking at a project and deciding, do I want to invest? Do I want to produce? You know, sometimes it comes down to, you know, I've invested in a lot of things recently. I want to wait to see our returns coming in. You know, you know, ideally on my investments, I recoup. And then, you know, once I recoup, I can use that same money to put into another project. And so that's often the practical reason whether or not I invest. Uh, whether or not I produce is often related to, you know, what does the project say to me? Is it aligned with my values? And those are constantly changing. Uh, but is it aligned to my values? And also, you know, what's my capacity looking like? Sometimes it's a practical decision. You know, mm -hmm. I wish I could produce everything, but I know I can't. And so kind of figuring out, is this the type of theater I want to see more of right now? And I feel like I can leave a mark on. Mm, fabulous. Can we start? Can we talk about um, the values that mean the most to you today? Like right now, what are what are the projects where you're like, yeah, that's it? Absolutely. You know, when I think about the projects that I've been involved with, either on the investor side or producer side, um, I've produced Kinky Boots off Broadway. I produced the Piano Lesson on Broadway, um, a beautiful Noise and Neil Diamond musical. You know, all of these shows, 
you know, while very different, there's kind of some themes going on there related to diversity and inclusion, whether it's the cast or whether it's the story. Um, I also invested in a strange loop. Um, I think about a beautiful noise and Neil Diamond musical, you know, that cast is so diverse, not only, you know, visually, but also, you know, we have people talking about different size on Broadway and different uh, genders and things like that, that you don't always talk about or see. And that felt so special to me to be part of a production and supporting that production that's really has such a strong and powerful ensemble. And so that was really important to me to say, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a story about a diverse individual or uh, a diverse topic. It can be a story um, like a biopic musical, but we can have a diverse cast and we can have diverse actors coming in. And that's been really important to me, just given the conversations we had during COVID and just given how I've always wanted to see myself represented on stage growing up. And so giving that opportunity to other people to see themselves represented on stage, that's really important to me. So that's a big reason why I invest or produce a project. But I've also been involved in things like the Museum of Broadway or the Broadway Makers Marketplace, which was a pop up shop. And these kind of alternative theater experiences are really important to me, too. And I think it leads back to accessibility where people want more touch points with theater. And I remember growing up, I didn't know anything about theater. And if I, during my middle school New York field trip, had walked into a museum of Broadway, I would have learned so much. And I would have been like, wow, what is a lighting designer? What is a sound designer? Maybe that's what I could be when I grow up. And just having those educational touch points, I think, are so important. And I think people are dying to do things in New York that are related to theater that aren't seeing a show because you can only see so many shows in a week. But you have all this other time in your day and they want to do other things and have other touch points. So I think it's creating those opportunities for people to interact with theater that's not seeing a show. So I love getting involved with these alternative experiences as well. You created one of your own. I mean, you're you're walking the walk, talking the talk. Talk about Broadway boxed up like this was like bringing Broadway to your doorstep. I think it's brilliant. I just want to know everything about it. Tell me about like, how did that idea come to be? It's amazing. I might copy it. It's amazing. I think it was June 2020. I created a Google Doc and I really just wrote the question, how can I bring Broadway to people's doorsteps? It was during the pandemic. I was thinking, you know, no one's interacting with theater what can I do to bring theater to them? And I immediately thought of two different things. One, I love designing merchandise and working with vendors and small businesses and coming up with merchandise ideas. And I've always been such a fan of merchandise. And I think that Broadway merchandise market is ripe for disruption on how people interact and how people think about merchandise. I've always been excited in that world. And then I thought about, you know, maybe along with merchandise, we can include information about diversity to professionals, you know, all these great organizations that people are talking about during COVID that, you know, the regular person who's not an insider in the theater world can learn about. And so I've interviewed deaf theater professionals, nonprofit theaters, just uh, professionals in all sorts of different fields from lighting design, sound design, licensing, et cetera, teaching people about the world of theater. Because I remember growing up, there wasn't really much opportunity to know about theater outside of, you know, the director, the actor, the producer. I didn't really understand all the people that went into a production. So, you know, I've interviewed them, written articles and live events, and we've all included that in a box with four to seven pieces of merchandise. We started shipping out in October 2020, and we've been doing it every single month since. It's been a little over two years. 
and it's been absolutely wild the response i thought when live theater returned people wouldn't want this box but it's only grown since then because you know theater especially broadway in new york people can't be there all the time and they want that touch point to theater Talk about the logistics. I mean, I can't imagine like where your subscription base is all over the country in the world or just in the country. Like, uh, how are you putting together no, these all boxes? over the world? We're oh shipping now 16 countries. I recently sent a box to Malta. I who knew there were even Broadway fans in Malta and I shipped a box to Malta. Amazing. Talk about making bridges. Wow. What's appealing to me is like this. Like this niche, like you've got this, this point of view, right? Like, let's talk about diversity in Broadway, in a box, in my, like, there's so, and four to seven pieces, like, there's so much to talk about. That alone is like amazing. It's, you know, teaching people about shows too, you know, everyone has a different lens to where they got involved with theater, whether it's contemporary theater in the last five years, whether you were watching Sondheim in the seventies and eighties and you fell in love with theater through that. But there's always some show you don't know or you haven't heard of yet. And being able to learn about a new show and the music from a show or a new play through a piece of merchandise is a really exciting way to interact with the show. And then, of course, we include a playbill or program in every box. And that's been so much fun from vintage programs from the 60s, where the back of every single one's a cigarette or alcohol ad. And just seeing how society has changed since then, it's been very cool and having these time capsules in every box. So where do you get your merchandise? You mentioned Broadway, uh, the Museum of Broadway, which I didn't know we needed the Museum of Broadway until I went. And then I was like, here we are. This We needed this. It's been fun. You know, I sometimes partner with small businesses. Um, there's a robust small business theater community. Mm. A lot of it we design ourselves, just given the quantities and the speed that we're working with. And, you know, we have to churn it out every month. We are thinking and designing and manufacturing ourselves. And more recently, we started partnering with theater productions and kind of either getting extra merchandise or getting their playbills or trying to partner with them. And it's been really exciting because sometimes some of these productions have been like, hey, we love this item. Can you design something for us? It's been a reciprocal relationship, too. And that's been really exciting. That's so cool. Um, One of the things I like about it is I'm not able to see every show on Broadway, right? We've got 35 live last time I checked. I'm I'm 41. And I, I go into the city. I just don't have enough time. And so the idea that a box could come to me and I can learn about a show in a deep way and have that touch point is so exciting to me. I think it's really brilliant. Thank you so much. And I, I've loved it. And it's been great to also learn about what theater fans are interested in. You know, we're surrounded by theater all the time. You know, when we're talking about Broadway, we forget, you know, our audience are people all over the country. So what are they actually interested in both from a show perspective and a merchandise perspective. And like, what are they interacting with? And what are they interested in? And what do, what do they want to know more about? And we don't really think about that too often. And it's been really great to get real-time feedback every month from subscribers being like, hey, I really love this. I didn't really enjoy this. I want to learn more about this. And you know that data is so important to me as a producer who hopes to lead produce a show one day. How can I use this information to inform the decisions I make when running a production? hundred percent. My brain was like, um, that's like inside track to producer to know what kind of shows people are interested in. Give us a sample of like what people will tell you, what they like, what they don't like. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because we have a wide array of theater fans, you know, some who are very young and love the contemporary shows like Mean Girls, Beetlejuice, Be More Chill, Waitress. And then we have some that, you know, are more traditional and they love their Phantom and Into the Woods and 
uh, Sunday in the Park with George. And then we have a mix, people who love things in between. I found that from a merchandise perspective, a lot of subscribers, they love the more what I call experimental merchandise, things that, you know, maybe you don't find typically in a Broadway merchandise stand, but they think are really cool. Like we've done gold plated coins. Oh, cool. We've done um, little acrylic stands or little just pop up stands that people have used to display on their bookshelves. There's cake toppers. And that's one of our best sellers. We have an embroidered apron that flies off the shelves that we cannot keep in stock enough that people love. And they're like, wow, we've never seen this in a merchandise stand in New York City. And we love having this new way to interact and show off our love for theater. And so that kind of thing is what I've learned about. But also that people really love, you know, shows that they can attach themselves to in some way, whether it's a line or a motif or a theme, and they can put that theme on their classroom wall or hang something up. So it's kind of figuring out, you know, in your show, is there some motif or theme that, you know, you can give to a teacher so they can put it up in their theater classroom? I've learned like people really, really like that and they love to be inspired by that. Do you ever consider like how you get the merch out there before a show closes? Like, is that, have you ever run into that? Like I'm thinking specifically sadly about like K-pop, which is like up and out and then gone. I'm like, ah, oh. then does your merchandise become more of like, I don't know, a memorabilia or I don't know. Maybe you don't even think about that. Yeah. It, it's tricky because a lot of, shows this season you know people aren't familiar with yeah so sometimes it's hard to create merchandise around a show that people aren't familiar with you know if i have four to seven pieces of merchandise in a box i want some of it to be shows that people know because i hope they'll latch on to be like wow this was my favorite musical or i performed this in high school or something like that but i also want some new shows where like hey you haven't heard about k-pop you haven't heard about Anne juliet Check this out. You know, they have music online. Go listen to it. So I want it to be partly educational, but it can be tricky, you know, with so many new shows this season, finding that balance between familiar and new, because if it's all new, people might not be as excited for the box. They just don't know the IP and they don't understand what they're receiving yet. And so that's definitely a balance. And, you know, I have so many ideas for things I want to do for K-pop and, you know, it's really figuring out which one idea is the best and finding the best time to release that information. Maybe when the cast recording comes out in February, maybe we'll do something in our February box or March box. But you're absolutely right. You know, if enough people haven't seen the show yet, it can sometimes be tricky from a merchandise perspective. Like, do I even want merchandise related to a show that I know nothing about? Right. right, right. And that's why it's also been tricky about with plays. I try to include plays every once in a while, but plays are always tricky because there's no cast recording to listen to. So if you haven't read the play or performed the play or seen the play, you probably don't know much about it. So you have to be a person who's just curious about theater in general. And some of our subscribers very much are, but some aren't. So I try to have a wide array in the four to seven items, a wide array of shows, new, old, something everyone can latch onto, and a wide array of items. Some I call the souvenir tchotchkes and some I call the practical items like an apron or a towel or something they can use every day. Wow. So there's something a person can latch onto in every box. So uh, new shows ain't no more. Uh, you've got something that you're sending your subscribers for that show some point. Yes. Oh my gosh. That show is, <laughs> it was incredible. I was lucky to see it about two months ago. They did a DC run oh, cool. in Washington, DC before they went on Broadway. Um, I'm not sure if the productions were related or not, or I'm not sure how that DC Baltimore run came to happen. One of the actors is the same who performed on Broadway. And I saw it and I was like, wow, 
this is special. And my mind has just been racing about how can I capture this show into merchandise that's a play. And I've been thinking about it and thinking about it and, you know, and might have to do something with one of the lines or something, but it's just such a powerful show that really changes your perspective. And it's a, it's a brilliant storytelling vehicle. And, you know, one thing we include in every box is we have what's called the what's inside paper that we include to tell you what's inside the box. And we write paragraphs about the show and the items so people can actually learn, you know, it's not just a mug from Anne Juliet you're getting, but here's what Anne Juliet's about. Here's why you want to know this show. Here's how you can learn more. So really thinking about for a no mo, what information we can include so that people can engage with the show past just a piece of merchandise or past the life of Broadway. So that's kind of what I'm brewing in my head right now. And hopefully we'll have something out in the spring. We probably could do a whole like session on this. I'm so fascinated about it, but what's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting to see though, how your producer investor brain is clicking in in different parts. Right. So going back to the idea of like finding the investors and the right investor for you for the right show, what is that process like? Can you break that down for those who are listening, who are, uh, first-time investors or emerging producers, like how do you start those conversations? You mentioned your brother, like how, like how do you find your investors? You know, I think one is, you know, you need to instill confidence in your investors, but also be very honest with them. I think it's important, you know, with every theater investor you find, you want to make sure they understand that they could lose their entire investment. You want to be very real with them. You don't want to kind of sugarcoat it and be saying, oh, yeah, you're guaranteed to return or you're definitely going to get your money back. Don't worry. Don't worry. Because I think your job as a producer is to create as great of an experience for your investors as possible. Because theater investing is a very risky thing. You know, there's no guarantees. But I always tell people it's the most fun investment you'll ever have. You know, you can go to an opening night event. You can go to an opening night party You know, you can get really nice seats to a show. You have access to house seats typically. And sometimes there are additional perks beyond that. And so I tell people it's the most fun investment they'll have. And so I try as a producer to make that experience as fun as possible, making sure like when they do come to town for opening night, that I'm making sure they have dinner or a cocktail reception or something they can go to. And I'm spending time with them and making sure they're taken care of as an investor. Because I know as an investor, the producers that have taken care of me Even if I haven't made all my money back, I've been like, wow, this producer took care of me. I feel like I'm part of something. I feel like I'm part of the production. They're communicating with me. I know what's going on in the production. And I feel like, oh, you know, even if I didn't make my money back on this show, I may invest in another show because this was such a great experience and I had a good time. So I think your number one thing as a producer, make sure your investors have a great experience. And be involved with them in every step of the process, not just them writing the check, but communicating with them frequently so they know what's going on with their investment. I don't think we talk about this enough. I really don't think we talk about this enough. The different ways that we can have like the experience, because there's some shows I invest in because I I want to be closer to this artist or this designer or, you know, like um, have conversations. And we don't talk about that. You know, I don't think a producer has asked me you know, why are you investing in this show? What was what it, what for you is the main reason? And you know what? That's such a great point you bring up. You know, I might invest in a show saying, hey, I know this lighting designer. I want to get in touch with them or this other producer on the show. I would love to work with them one day. And, you know, as a producer, it's our job to make connections. You know, why not? You know, we want to make sure our investor has that great experience and make this world smaller for them and create this robust community. So I think that's a really great point, figuring out, you know, why is your investor 
getting involved with the show other than the fact that it's a great show or other than the fact that they think they can make money. Or they're invested in you, right? Like I've invested in your vision and I want to exactly. invest in your things. I love that. Yeah, let's, we were definitely going to break that out. Like that idea of, I love how you said that. Asking the investor, what is it that you want? How, what, how can I help you get what you want out of this experience beyond just the fiscal return? That's beautiful. That's really great. I think a lot of times when I'm approached by some producer, sometimes it's the day after I met them. And to me as an investor, I'm like, oh, okay, I met you yesterday and suddenly I'm getting an email saying, hey, can I have $25,000 or $50,000? And to me, that's like, whoa, 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 I just met you yesterday. <laughs> you know, we don't even have a relationship yet and you're asking me for money. And so now I know, you know, you're hoping that whatever IP or whatever show you have is attractive enough that I don't even care if I don't know you. I want to be involved in this show so badly. And, you know, that's fine. I think some people do produce like that. But, you know, I like to create as an investor, have a relationship with my producers. You know, I don't want to just invest in the show. I want to have a friendship, a relationship. I want to get to know the producer better. And I think a lot of people, especially as we bring in new investors to the world of theater, and I'm really passionate about bringing first time investors in, not only to diversify the investor pool, because I think that's something that's very important that we don't talk enough about in theater, but also because so many of, I guess, traditional theater investors they have so much capital into shows that were kind of roadblocked during COVID. And so they're waiting for these shows to be put up. That's why we have 30, 40, 50 shows coming on this season. And so we have to bring in new investors because everyone's waiting for their shows they've already invested in to go up. And so I'm just so big about building that relationship and making sure, you know, the investors aren't only investing in the show, but are investing in me or my vision or my partnership with them. Awesome. Awesome. Let's talk about some of the shows uh, you mentioned at the top that you're involved with uh, this season. What is it like to see that show come to life? What's that like? It's really special. You know, I think about the piano lesson on Broadway, for example. That was a really interesting show to be a part of because, you know, August Wilson, legendary playwright, so many great shows and the first revival of this play and then the cast with Samuel L. Jackson, John David Washington, Danielle Brooks, like a very legendary cast coming together. And so being in that room, you know, not only is it a special experience, you're like, wait, there's so many people around that I've seen on TV and movies, so many Hollywood celebrities in the room, which is already like a crazy experience. Like, how am I producing a Broadway show? And I'm sitting a row behind Ethan Hawke, like blows my mind. But, you know, just being in that room and seeing kind of this history being made and then humanizing it. You know, I had the opportunity to meet August Wilson's wife. Oh, you're kidding. And I didn't even know I was talking with her for the first half an hour. Right. And I was like, whoa, wait, like this is, you know, August Wilson, someone I studied, someone I used to read his plays. You know, this is but this is actually a real person who has real family members and interacting with them and humanizing that experience for me was so special. And just seeing the show come to life and knowing that I had a role in it was also very special because, you know, when you think about theater, you know, it's not only the show, but hundreds of jobs and thousands and thousands of hours go in before you even reach opening night. And so thinking that, you know, you had a role as a producer investor to play in it is very, very special. Talk to me a month when when you have to have those hard conversations with investors with when it's like, Hey, the show, we, we have to close the show. You and I both have had that experience and it's kind of like a, a punch in the gut, right? Like how, what's, what are those conversations like? I think those conversations, obviously they're tough. 
Um, no one ever wants to have those conversations. You know, hopefully as a producer, you did the work up front where, you know, you at least once with your investor, let them know that, you know, there's a chance they might not make all their money back or some version of that conversation was had. So they know it's an investment and that's risky. And hopefully during the life of the production, you were communicating with them somewhat frequently. Because, you know, if, if you know, you put on a show, I think about Kinky Boots, for example, Off-Broadway, which had to close, you know, if I, you know, took the money from my investor and then hadn't talked to them again until several months later when I'm like, oh, sorry, the show's closing. You're not going to make all your money back. I think they would be very upset being like, whoa, whoa, where's this coming from? This is coming out of left field. You know, where, like, how is this possible? But I think, you know, if you're communicating frequently they at least feel like they're in the loop. And hopefully if you're communicating, part of that communication would be along the lines of, hey, sales are looking rough. We're trying to do what we can to um, help sales increase. But just want to let you know, you know, like the wraps this week or sales this week aren't looking good. So hopefully, you know, it's not coming out of the blue for your investor. But I think having that conversation specifically is just being honest, letting them know like, hey, these are this is what went wrong. This is what I think as a producer, you know, the show didn't do correctly or the circumstances weren't right or whatever the reason might be for closing. And, you know, this is something that, you know, we're learning about and hopefully there are opportunities that I can work again with this investor and making sure that they're just well communicated and they understand everything and keeping them well informed. And I find, you know, once you do that with a conversation, the investor is obviously upset. No one wants to lose their money. You know, we always talk about, you know, investors come in knowing they can lose their money, but no one wants to. It never feels good. But hopefully they feel like that they've been taken care well enough that they might come back one day. Putting ourselves as producer in the investor's shoes is so important as investors. Um, I look at projects I'm approached that have approached me and yeah, knowing that, well, this one hasn't recouped or this one hasn't recouped. Like you, it just causes you to think deeply about why I'm investing in this show. What are the reasons? And uh, yeah, there's a bit of a pause, but I feel like if you have the right investor with you, that hopefully they'll have the faith to do it again. I, I believe that. I've got to believe that, right? And then I think it's about how, as a producer, you sold the show. You know, did you sell it as like, oh, this is a great investment. You're going to make a lot of money potentially. You know, if you if you sell your show that way and it does it, then I think your investor feels a little cheated. Like, hey, you said like True. the show could make a lot of money. But if you say, hey, I think it's a great financial investment, but also you're supporting this great story. And I think this story is something you're going to really connect to and you're going to want people to see. Then at least that investor feels like, hey, I may not have made my money, but this was a story that I want people to see. And I'm really glad I got to touch so many people through investing in this story. Mm, so kind of making sure that investors are not only financially invested, but they're emotionally or they're connected to the story or like this is actually an investment that you know, makes sense for them. And I think that goes to the idea of, you know, when I have a show, I don't necessarily reach out to every investor in my Rolodex. I think about like, hey, maybe this topic might be good for this investor. They said they've always wanted to work in a story that deals with these topics or something like that and making sure that investor has something they can connect to beyond the financial elements. Let's keep talking about this idea of like the different kinds of investors that would have different motivations to be involved. I just read that Will and Jada Smith invested, like bought out a show of Ain't No Mole. Like what, right? Like what, what does that do for the social capital or stamp of approval for a show? Like we need all kinds of investors in different currencies, right? Can we talk about that? You know, it's such an interesting case study, Ain't No Mole with, you know, so many people buying out those shows and, you know, 
first it's kind of thinking, what does buying out a show even mean? You know, thinking about that, like, oh, you paid for every ticket in the house that night. Doesn't necessarily mean those tickets aren't going to be sold, but the show is guaranteed to make the income for that day for that show. And that's such a powerful statement saying like, hey, I believe in this kind of theater. I want to see more of it. And, you know, I think a lot about how I invested in a strange loop and I was fortunate to see it in DC and it's pre-Broadway run. And then a producer friend of mine had reached out. And for me thinking about, do I want to invest in this show? I was like, how could I not invest in the show? I always talk about what kind of theater I want to see. And this is the type of theater I think there should be more of. And so for me, it was like, you know, what would it say if I didn't invest in this show when I talk so much about the theater I want to see more of? So for me, like, I think I had a similar reason to invest in a strange loop as a lot of people have been buying out shows of Ain't No Mo. I'm guessing it's, you know, you believe more people need to see this theater. It's so powerful. It's so important. It's going to bring a new point of view to so many people. And so I think that kind of connection to a show and that kind of investor, you know, it's almost philanthropic in a way. You know, I, I know some people who treat investing in theater as a donation to the arts is the best way to think about it. And hopefully you can make some money back out of it. And that's not a bad way to think about it. I think really, in some ways, given the risks, you know, you have to be OK and treat it as I am donating money to the art because I am so convinced that people need to see this show. Interesting. I know that's like a the commerce art conversation. You know, it's it's a careful balance and it may come down to the individual investor. Talk to me about the experience when a strange loop won the Tony. What was that like? It was stressful. That <laughs> night was just a stressful night because, you know, I, I wanted it to win the Tony so badly. I believed in the show so much. I remember waiting and watching so many shows won Tonys this year is really great. You know, there's a great diversity and, you know, no one show dominated. But that best musical award at the very end, you know, you're waiting through like a three, four hour broadcast. And you're like, oh, my gosh, what is happening? Who is going to win? No one knew. And when they won, it was just, it was so exciting. You know, not that I look to awards for validation, but it was validating to me as an investor saying like, oh, other people also valued this work, especially coming in from a point of view where I know every person likes and embraces different kinds of theater. And I think that's what's great. You know, there's a show for everyone. Everyone's not going to love the same show, but there's yeah. a show out there for everyone. And, you know, but it was very validating as an investor to know, oh, other people also appreciated this show. It wasn't just me. So that was really special to experience. Awesome. Talk to us about projects that you have um, on the horizon that you're involved with. You can name them or not name them, but like, let's talk about raising for a show in this space of like, can I say I'm totally committed to it until I finish the raise? Like, that's a stress. Can we talk about that? Yeah, it's so tricky. You know, I think whether you're a producer or even actors go through this, too. You know, until until the contract's been signed, you don't want to announce it, whether it's superstition, you don't want to jinx it. Or, you know, as a producer, you're raising, you know, 125, 250, 500,000. You know, who knows how much money you have to raise, but a significant amount of money. And until you've completed that raise... You know, things aren't set in stone, so you don't want to advertise yourself necessarily, you know, like, oh, I'm producing Hamilton on Broadway, but then it doesn't pull through. And you're like, you have all these social media posts out there saying you're a producer. And then when the show comes around, it's like, oh, sorry, I'm not I, I, I'm not actually a producer. You know, people might lose trust in you, too. They're like, wait, you said you were producing this show and you're not like what's going on there. So I think it, it, it can be stressful for a producer you know, how do you raise money for a show when you can't even you might not even want to tell <laughs> wide and far that you're producing a show yet? 
And there are SEC rules about, you know, you can't just solicit investments openly on a social media platform either. So it's a lot of like one-to-one conversations, a lot of one-to-one emails, a lot of, you know, smaller conversations, which make producing hard and tricky and time consuming. Mm, yeah, that's so true. I, um, I'm a part of some shows as an investor, but not a producer. So I have to be careful with my words. Like I'm a small part of this show, but I'm not, you won't see my name on any playbill. Right. But I still like have a passion for that piece. As an investor, I want to let people know, Hey, I'm involved in this show, but then people are like, wait, how are you involved? And it's like, it's a very tricky thing to explain. And so, yeah, I always say, use language like, oh, I'm so I'm so happy to play a small part in this show or be involved in a small way in this show or something yeah, like that. Because, yeah. you know, I don't want to make my role sound bigger than it is either. You know, I'm, I'm not a producer of the show. Like, don't confuse. I didn't win a Tony Award for a strange loop. I just invested in it. You know, I want to make yeah. that clear because I don't want to misrepresent myself. But I want people to know, like, hey, by seeing this show, you're also supporting something that I believed in. Mm, that's awesome. That's awesome. Where do you see yourself in three years, five years? Like, what what gets you excited about waking up and doing this producer investor uh, role? I almost said game like this, this like <laughs> job, you know, like it is a job. Like what gets you going in the morning? You know, I've been so blessed to be able to invest or produce on shows with a variety of lead producers. And it's been really great to learn from all of them and see, you know, I will say the lead producer is the CEO of a business. And each CEO runs their company a little bit differently. And so it's been such a blessing to be able to see how each CEO runs their business and things that I take away from that. For me, every show I produce is a learning opportunity to see like, oh, they they send this kind of communication to their investors and producers. I really like that. Or they do this kind of meeting or they do this kind of update or they involve their co-producers in this way. And I'm like, oh, I'm taking notes. I'm learning. I'm, I'm absorbing all of that because I, I really you know, would love to be lead producing my own show commercially in some way in the next three years. That's what excites me. And, you know, kind of taking the best of every production I've been a part of, combining it in one show. And really, you know, I I just have so many ideas of how I think the theater industry can improve and things we can change. And I want to use a production that I'm lead producing as a vehicle to explore those changes and kind of see like, oh, is this a better way we can get the actors involved or is this a better way we can treat investors or is this a better way we can work with creatives and things like that so that's what i'm really excited for so you know i hope to continue investing hope to continue co-producing but i hope to have the opportunity to lead produce as well oh that's beautiful i i I can tell from your passion that that is definitely within reach that that's a goal you're going to reach that's fabulous um thank you yeah for sure uh and last question and then we'll let you shout out things that you're working on and where people can find Broadway box and all those things. The question is twofold. What advice do you give to investors? What advice would you give to emerging producers? So what advice would you give to first time investors and what advice would you give to an emerging producer? My advice for investors is I think a lot of times in this industry, historically, being able to invest in the show has been kind of been this secluded sort of little aspect that, you know, oh, you should be so grateful. I'm giving you this opportunity to invest in a show. And I want investors to know, yes, it's very exciting to have the opportunity to invest in the show, but it's your money. You are the investor. You know, I like to think the power is in your hands as an investor. You don't have to think that like, oh, if I don't give my money for this show, I'll never be able to 
be involved in any Broadway show again. And sometimes that stress is there, especially your first time. You're like, whoa, someone's asking me to invest in a Broadway show. You know, I've never been asked this before. And it can be very exciting. But, you know, the power's in your hands as an investor. You can ask all the questions you want. You know, you should feel 100% confident before you write that check. And sometimes, you know, you feel pressured by you know, like the opportunity or like how exciting it is and or you might want to break through in the industry and you think, you know, being an investor is a great way to break through. And it absolutely is. But ask the questions you want. Be careful with your money and be as specific as you want with what you want to invest in. You know, you don't have to invest in the first thing that comes your way. You can say like, oh, this is a great opportunity. I think I'm more interested in a show like this. Let me know if you have a show like that coming up. You know, be be yeah. ready to say no. It's okay. Wow. I love that. That like, but let me know when you have something that's aligned like this. And then as producers, we're making notes and whatever our CRM is, right? Like interested in these kind of productions. That's cool. Very cool. Yeah, exactly. And I think as a producer, be ready to hear no one. Mm. Don't be turned off by no, but also, you know, I think producing is all a balance between one finding shows to produce in and having the capacity to produce them but also kind of building out your proverbial Rolodex, I guess. It can be so easy once you start producing shows, more and more people will ask you or want you to produce more and more shows and you can be producing multiple shows every season. But I think for at least the style of producing that I like to pursue, it's okay to take time to build relationships and build out that Rolodex and really meet people. And you don't have to be producing a show every three months or every four months. You know, you can take a break. You can take time to really understand, you know, what investors are out there or who can I get into this theater world and talk to about like, hey, you've never thought about investing in theater. Maybe you might be interested in it and build that relationship for six months and maybe you'll have an opportunity for them when the time comes. So, you know, it takes time to build out that Rolodex, but I think it's absolutely worthwhile to do so, especially when you're just starting out in the producing world. And it's really easy to just want to produce everything and realize, wait, I only have the same 10 investors I go to for everything. You know, I need more people I can talk to. And it takes time to build those relationships. Mm, so well said. Thank you. Uh, shout out to your projects where people can find you because I, I want to find you more. I know people will. Like, how do we find you? Yes. Uh, and so, you know, my personal social media is at uh, A-N-A-N-T underscore G-A-R-D-E, like avant-garde, anunth guard. And uh, you can find Broadway Boxed Up at Broadway Boxed Up on all social media platforms or at our website, www.broadwayboxedup.com. Fabulous. Thank you so much for taking time. You are terrific. I can't wait to let our paths cross. And thanks for sharing your wisdom. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. And, you know, I'm just so passionate about you know, that relationship between investors and producers is like you said, people don't talk about it enough. And I'm, I'm so happy you've created this platform for people to talk about it. Thank you. Thank you. Can't wait to see all the stuff you have going on. Thanks so much. Thanks.